Hello, and welcome to the Digital Odyssey. News, technology, and stories of the electronic entertainment industry and its effects on culture. This episode, in our news, NVIDIA announces the new RTX 3000 series GPUs, and I'll get some good comments on that, what I've been playing lately, and the story of the video game crash of 1983. Here's our opening song.
You are listening to the Digital Odyssey on Hawk Radio on Anchor.fm. What you just listened to was the credit song behind the wonderful, wonderfully sounding Mario Kart 8. Yes, I know it's a Mario Kart game, but trust me, it has a truly unique sound signature that combines rock with jazz. They're able to put in a, uh, an electric guitar along with the wonderful saxophone and it creates such a unique sound that is totally of this one of the, uh, the game's signature qualities along with its very very impressive uh, gameplay and graphics as far as uh, Mario Kart is concerned I thought this would be rather appropriate to uh, start off our show because this is some rather exciting news as well especially in terms of um, now that we have this wonderful new hardware to talk about for um, to create all of the uh, this wonderful electronic entertainment that is that our industry is full of so nvidia has announced an rtx 3000 series set of gpus uh, according to all uh, to uh, nvidia's announcement video that's on youtube there are three gpus that they have are the rtx 3070 the 30 rtx 3080 and the rtx 3090 it's all based on a new architecture called Ampere. The previous one it was called Turing. Uh, that's a thing with uh, a Turing. My bad, not Turing. Turing. Uh, the thing thing about uh, Nvidia, the way that Nvidia names their architectures, is that they name them after famous uh, famous mathematicians. Sooner or later, they're gonna run out, though. <laughs> but in the meantime, we have Ampere. Of course, because of COVID-19, the entire present, uh, presentation was filmed in the CEO's Jen, uh, Jensen Huang's kitchen. Uh, kitchen. It, it was still an, an absolutely amazing presentation that got me, personally, rather excited for the new set of GPUs. I have myself a Pascal series GTX, GTX, not RTX, GTX 1050 Ti in my machine, and I may be looking to upgrade upgrade and the reason why well we'll get into that la later in terms of the performance that we can get so um so a number of announcements uh before we get too detailed into the actual hardware is that they've also uh, announced some creator tools as well one that uh particularly caught my eye was uh what they call nvidia omniverse machine machinima it's based off of their real-time 3D collaboration program that uses universal scene description, which I mentioned last week, uh, is uh, is along with a bunch of other um, component components that they build themselves to offer real-time 3D collaboration. So you can have multiple people working in a 3D scene, and as those people are making changes, they are able to. It, those people are making changes everybody else sees it uh, happen in real time is they also use AI to map map uh, and it actually has a bunch of other components as well so for uh, one of them is that they use AI to map audio to facial movements uh, provides built-in physics uh, as well using their uh, PhysX library and visual effects and uses AI driven uh, motion capture that you would give it uh, your webcam 
yes, you would give it your webcam video, and it would actually be able to uh, put spit out a motion captured rig setup that you can map onto the animation is onto the characters that you would uh, be able to animate, and it, using RTX real time ray is as well. Um, RTX is real-time ray tracing, so the uh, kind of rendering that you see in high-end visual effects. So the kind of stuff that's made that Marvel does to render the Hulk, to render all the fancy effects that are going on with Iron Man's suit and all that stuff. Usually, very little of that stuff is practical, and they just do it all in post. But everything looks so realistic uh, that we just don't bat an eye. And that's the cut is, and that's really the same kind of thing that's going on with these production ray tracers. But the cool part about this is that it, these are using hardware accelerated ray tracing uh, component of the GPU that makes it, the ray tracing thing overall a lot faster. But the thing is, is that we're not quite there just yet. Um, if we were to use the production engines with uh, the hardware that's out, so these new GPUs aren't out just yet, render times would be uh, described in hours per frame. Yeah, nobody has time for that unless that's what you're going to be doing all day. Unless, like, you're in that industry. However, with ray all this ray tracing going on, uh, the newer ray tracing technologies that they have going on, um, as well as heart components of the GPU that's able to accelerate the process is the operations of AI type of, of um, uh, models as well. They're actually able to render ray trace stuff at a lower resolution and then use AI to upscale it into a much higher resolution and you get a better quality image as a result it makes absolutely no sense but here it is <laughs> so as um to help show off what was possible with omniverse machinima uh, nvidia um actually had a demo demonstrating it using the Mountain Blade Banner Lords 2's assets. So the reason why they're calling this Omnimers Machinima is because and is despite the fact that um, it was uh, Machinima has technically been going on since 1992 uh, with a certain Quake Conventions um, what was a little skit that they surprised um their community with it was less of a actual game uh, is gameplay of people slaughtering each other and more of a story driven thing machinima is essentially just using games or repurposing games to tell story basically so from what i've found um and in dug some dig uh done some digging into nvidia's omniverse because it's not just for the machinima stuff it's actually for um professional um, grade businesses who need their artists and technical leads or whatnot to collaborate with each other is that I found some problems, problem, potential problems going forward if this is to be uh, picked up by the community as, as, um, as 
broadly as NVIDIA might want it to. First off, the only thing that that I can get any information on on the kind of um, assets that you can fee uh, feed, in feed into the system are USD, Universal Scene Description Assets. They seem to be what's necessary. The problem is that users may need to convert the native engine formats packaged with their game to get the assets imported. So NVIDIA's website on Omniverse says its kit component is highly scriptable and program scriptable and programming uh, savvy members of the uh, community of, of uh, people who are using on omniverse machinima should be able might be able to help out with that but we don't know exactly how that's going to work out that's sort of a catch-22 situation where well we can't get things uh nobody will do anything because there's at because assets are hard to come by well assets are hard to come by because we can't get these assets out of our games well we can't get the assets out of our games because these people aren't scripting it and these people aren't making scripts because there's nobody else there who's going to use them however i do see that this is pretty interesting and i feel still does have potential the best the premier tool that i would say that is great for using machinima not only take using assets but also for people who have the time to do uh, film quality animation is is source filmmaker source filmmaker is it it's basically valve's source engine that they've through thrown an, a robust animation tool set into and then they've just released it to the public they haven't really updated it all that much yet in fact um after they finally released uh half-life alex which is about 12 years after the last half-life game they did uh bundle in a newer version of source filmmaker but they didn't really change much the ui is the same it just uses source 2's back end for uh better lighting for better and is and i don't know pr probably uses um the hardware a little bit better but um if nvidia wants to to uh provide a better tool for this and actually not on top of um uh, is providing a great way to animate um, character, create good stories with game assets, but also um, support the community and really embrace this and have another great tool that the community has an access to, I definitely would uh, commend them from that. So, moving on to the actual video cards themselves. I'm going to be doing the 3080 first today. So, the RTX 3080, the way that they've brought it up, the way that they showed it off to everyone, is that while uh, Jensen Wong was in his kitchen describing everything to us, he actually had it hid behind a, a vase full of, for some reason, spatulas, but it was there the whole time. I'm actually... if. If you didn't know this, you would probably is you probably would have fooled you. But if you'd actually go back to the beginning of the is I didn't realize that until he he reached over and grabbed it. But it was indeed there the whole time until he pulled it out. So the RTX 3080 of uh, due to the is the design of the new 
um, cooling system makes it look really, really nice. I have a, in terms of my computer setup, I have a very nice black on black on metal kind of situation. And it just, it, I can tell for a fact that that thing is going to look rather snazzy in my case. And I want one <laughs> really badly. So it has a new through uh, cooling system uh, for those reference models that they're showing off. These are uh, ones that are manufactured by and sold by NVIDIA, not the board partners such as EVGA or MSI or Gigabyte or any of those extra manufa other manufacturers that they partner up with. For the ref is that has a is that takes the IO port area is is that it two fan it has two fans so one it has a fan that sucks in air from from the uh, from the top of the card and blows it out the io area so where all the um display um outputs are it blows it out in that area and then it has another fan that literally just takes in air blows is from the bottom it blows it up into the case yeah uh, blows it upward in the case and it literally is heat pipe from the process from the processor of the GPU and it flows all the way out to the end of the card and into the um, fin into the metal fins that spread the heat everywhere and then is it put it uses a fan that put uh, that sweeps it all out I gotta say it does look really really snazzy They've also claimed that it has twice the performance of the previous generation at the same price. So that's right. The RTX 3080 is $70, not 70 $700. Ouch. Well, I do want one. Uh, realistically, I'm not going to be getting that. So the next card I'm going to be talking about is the RTX 3070. So that's their lowest one. And get this. It is, NVIDIA has claimed that it is faster than the last gen's RT, RTX 2080 Ti. For the uninitiated, that is a $1,200 graphics card. That's just one component of your computer right there. And it's $1,200. Ouch. But the real ouch comes from the people who bought those, those cards already. The RTX 3070 will be costing about $500. Funny part is, is that if you actually go on eBay right now and search RTX 2080 Ti, you'll find a bunch of people who are, I want to say, panic selling their GPUs at mm, about eight hundred five and what was it six fifty to nine hundred dollars yeah so um if you recently bought a rtx 2080 ti i'm i'm really sorry about that that then that the next generation's gpu that's five hundred dollars is more powerful than yours i'm, I'm really sorry about that <laughs> so However, if we're going to go into full-blown Utumtanium is territory, which is always exciting just to hear what it's capable of, we have the th RTX 3090. 
This is going to be a a $1,500 GPU. That's right, $1,500. I just want to get that price out of the way because, oh my goodness, that is awful. Absolutely awful. So, the way that he uh, grabbed this one is that he pulled it out of his oven. Now, this is a reference to how he pulled out a 50-pound GPU board out of his oven back when they announced the A100 server GPU back in May. Now, the server GPU is really more for the cloud compute, uh, compute pr providers, uh, people who are looking to provide uh, maybe even studios as well. Um, you know, who wants some good back-end GPU horsepower, those guys actually ended up getting um, this architecture first, actually. The A100 is, and man, that thing is a honker. It, in the, in the funniest part, and I, I bet they, when they brought that thing over, they put it on his kitchen table, and they look, he looked back, I can imagine him, Jensen Wong just looking back at his oven and said, this thing's this thing will just fit my it will barely fit in my oven it's so big and so they probably did that's probably what happened so back to the RTX 3090 they claim that it can support 8k resolution output and games can be played quite and still be a pretty good experience at that resolution <laughs> In fact, they even had a bunch of, uh, what was it, what online internet personalities come by and look at is and play it just to see what they could, uh, their reaction. And yeah, their reactions is about as good, uh, what you'd expect of, wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of GPU horsepower. And of course, while they were uh, uh, um, relaying all of its specifications to you, they covetly nicknamed it the BF GPU. Now, to uh, those of you who are uninitiated with um, uh, your video game history, there's this thing called Doom that the, was released in the 80s, and it revolutionized the... Um, first-person shooter genre. As a matter of fact, most of uh, first-person shooters that subsequently came out after that were at the time dubbed Doom clones. So, because as it was that big of a standout and it had that big of an impact. However, for those of the uninitiated, that the BFG is a weapon. And um, Doom is a game about going to mars and killing demons brutally in the brutal in the most brutal way that you could possibly depict in, with 1980s technology home computer technology so knowing that that this is that this is not exactly the most family friendly thing and don't worry i'm i'm, I'm not going to curse here but um you see bfg stands for big fucking guy just goes to show that NVIDIA is very much in tune with its audience. Well, that's all we have for our news today. Up next, what I've been playing lately.
You are listening to the Digital Odyssey on Hawk Radio on Anchor.fm. What you just listened to was Falana. It is from the soundtrack of the game Dust and Elysian Tale. That is tail with a T-A-I-L. Yeah, that, the reason why it stars that is because it's... Uh, it's a game that stars well, anthropomorphic characters. Think of uh, think of it like Zootopia. So, I mean, if anything, it's actually more of a, of a pun, really. So, uh, I played through Dustin Losing Tale uh, recently um, after taking my sweet time going through the game because um, the, I just felt like doing that, really, um, and doing some of the side quests as well that is suckered me that it sucked me in uh my playtime after post completion is a cool 18.3 hours you will probably get through it uh a lot sooner though if you're actually intending to play th it through um to figure out learn what the story it has to tell you and and be done with it you'll probably get it get through it in maybe sometime somewhere between 8 to 12 really but uh, that's not what I'm really the the length is something is not really the value of what of how I judge the game really if it's a good is if I have a a great um, eight hours of gameplay then you know like an absolutely unforgettable eight hour uh, gameplay session then I think I would have gotten my mother money's worth out of a much more dull game that I spent 12 hours on. So, uh, with that said, um, Destinalizian Tale. What you've just listened to was actually the title, the title screen of uh, the game. Uh, it's the first thing you hear when you uh, when you boot up the game. 
uh, it is developed by Humble Hearts, and the audio is done with, uh, what is it, the music is done in most part to Hyperduck Soundworks. However, Falana itself, the track you just listened to, was actually composed and by Alex Brandon. He helped a good amount with the um, production of this game, too. This game is more of a Metroidvania brawler kind of game uh, with definitely a hack and slashy um, feel to it as well. Um, I specifically chose this uh, piece because I wanted to calm down a little bit from the wonderful excitement that it was NVIDIA's announcements. Because this is a game that, that that tells a pretty nice story as well, but moreover, it's its gameplay of uh, it's in, it's in, it's engaging gameplay of a combination of combat and platforming and puzzle and uh, with a little hint of puzzle solving, and good storytelling with great with some pretty darn nice uh, voice acting as well to tell that story. That overall is a pretty pretty nice package that a uh, package of an indie game and then i looked more into this game and the more i looked into the development process of this game what really went on behind the scenes the more i am impressed with it so first off it for the most part was entirely programmed by a who programmed and all the art is done by one person over the course of Four years. The guy's name is Dean Dodrill, and he was an animator by trade who had on his bucket list to make a game. A good game. A game that he always would have wanted to play. And obviously, because of this, he's gained a lot of is once he released it, it really struck a chord with a large number of people. And well, now his company, Humble Hearts, has reaped the rewards and has since went on to publish more games, develop and publish more games as well. Because Dean has been in the world of animation for his career for quite a while, he understood that um, not only he was able to get the quality of the fluid animation in, in the character, but also it is um, have experienced playing games himself, know, know that if the controls don't feel good, then is then you don't really have a game that feels good as well so um not only that um because of that he's able to not only get a good feeling controls or at least he kept working on it until he got to feel good but he also uh had um a very very well done fluid animation set uh fluid animation this is all 2d animation the classic 90s disney's resolute uh animation renaissance style of animation and it is it's a very nice flowing uh, art uh, art style that carries throughout the rest of the game and it's great dean did do an incredible amount of work when it comes to this game but he also got a lot of help from hyperduck studios who did as um who did an amazing amazing job on the uh, on the mu rest of the music for this game uh later on i'll from our transitions to our story i'm going to play you another wonderful track from this 
game's music selection. It, it, it is pretty darn good what they have going on here. Another thing that Dean understands pretty well fr from being in the world of animation is that a lot of animation is 100% or actually 98% about characters. If your characters don't succeed, the work doesn't succeed. Because of it is, um, as your the the character Dust actually has a companion flying around him named Fidget. She's uh, well, him being a uh, avid gamer himself is actually more of a reference to Navi, the fair fairy in uh, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. She is very known uh, for being rather annoying with her high-pitched voice and, of course, the fact that it flies around, hanging around, screaming in Link's ear all the entire game. So he made a character much like that that sort of mirrors that as well. But uh, it actually, he was able to make, through the voice acting and narrative, was able to not only have these two characters successfully work off of each other in the voice acting and in the writing, but also in terms of a gameplay spot too, because Dust has this ability called the Dust Storm. He, he takes his sword and he spins it around really, really fast and it creates a cyclone. You can then use have control fidget to release some projectiles as those get sucked into the cyclone and then burst it out into a whole bunch more projectiles that hunt and target enemy is the enemies out in the field so not only do they work in terms of a narrative standpoint but they also work in a gameplay standpoint that really does complete the whole experience and i just got to say Dean's pretty darn good at what he does, too. The art direction in this game is just amazing. This game really is impressive for being a mostly one-man operation, with notable exceptions in certain areas. In fact, this game has been around for a while. Um, it's been around in August 15th. It was released August 15th, 2012 for the Microsoft Xbox Summer of Arcade. Yeah. <laughs> it's been around for a while. However, it's available on basically every platform by now, uh, including Steam, uh, various different uh, PC storefronts, and notably interesting ios as well i haven't played it on the iphone on ios namely because i don't own an iphone myself but i've had heard that it controls surprisingly well for what it is so kudos to the developer for not only being able to release a game uh, uh, a game that's so different on the ios store but also able to port that old at this point approaching a decade old code base into a modern iPhone. That is that is crazy how that he's able to do that. My decision to actually purchase this game was uh, after I've recently found it recommended to me uh, on my Steam recommended queue, uh, Steam Discovery queue, uh, and I've checked it out and I found a is a YouTube video from the creator Total Biscuit. Uh, who is a very um, 
who is a notable personality in the PC game is in the gaming space for being very for not only slightly cynical, but also for being very pro-consumer in um, his writing and uh, what he says as well. So imagine my surprise when I come up with uh, come up to this old video at the at the time you know, rather, rather old video about the Steam PC report. I believe he called it at the time the PC port report that at some point later in the video, he screamed, BUY THE GAME! And so I did. And I am very glad that I've done so as well, is because it is a very wonderful indie developer experience that I didn't really have to pay all that much for as well. I, I've always, especially when I, uh, before I would play games uh, on my computer, getting, what was it, this hobby was getting rather expensive for me too, but uh, thanks to Steam and all their wonderful, wonderful sales, I've been able to enjoy my hobby and get so many games for cheap. I have so many games that are, I have, I have, a, <laughs> I have a category in my Steam games library called need to play slash finish. It has 48 games in them. Now, if I go into my, uh, break down the different types of software that I have available in Steam, it says that I have about 150 games in my library. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's not going to stop me from buying even more. There's so many great games that you can get on Steam that if you just put them in your wish list and you wait for them to go on sale, you can stockpile up so many great games. One of which is like Grim Fandango Remastered, which is an iconic, iconic puzzle adventure series, uh, not series, game made by the wonderful, legendary, um, I want to say prestigious studio, Double Fine. Speaking of story-driven indie experiences, uh, another game that I dipped my toe back into uh, is Undertale. Undertale is quite the beast. Without getting into too much detail, because despite being a game that was released quite literally five years ago, September 15th, we're actually coming up, uh, We, as of recording, we are... Uh, yeah, as of um, this episode coming out is going to be five days short of the five-year anniversary of Undertale's release. It is still a game I would consider worth not spoiling. However, I still have some things to say about it. One thing to note is that I, I played it when, when it was new, basically. Uh, Steam reports, before I dip my toes back into it, Steam reported that I played it in July of 2016. And, well, it's about as cute and charming as I remember it to be. So, Undertale, what is it and why is and why should you care? Undertale is a wonderful little RPG slash bullet dodging game. 2D bullet dodging game that is a, has a huge focus on its character it, the its yeah its characters and its story and the way that it tells its story actually no more specifically the story that it tells is that all of these characters are wonderfully quirky 
they have so many wonderful little endearing qualities to them that I can go could go on and on and on about. They are truly wonderful, and interacting in this world is such a joy because you don't, you can never really, because with every single corridor you want around, you're going through with a smile on your face because you're just wondering, oh boy, what's the next thing that's just going to make my day? What is the next cute, endearing thing that is going to come by and make me smile on my adventure? But it's not just all smiles with this game as well. It, it actually has some pretty serious undertones as well. It's a game that'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry at the end too. Because it's such a wonderful, endearing story. And that's basically all I, should, I want to tell you about it, really. Because it is a... It's it's worth it's worth going in and not knowing anything about it. Though I will say this, you have the option. Well, as you play the game, you have the option to is to actually kill physically, uh, not physically, but actually uh, in the game, kill uh, kill the characters, and every single thing that action that you do has a consequence that um, that affects. Uh, that affects the story throughout the entire game and you get the best ending if you don't kill anyone that's all I'm gonna say as a matter of fact you don't even have to be nice to anyone as well you can actually scare them into getting letting you pass and yeah you, you don't have to be super nice to get the best ending too it's actually kind of nice up next the story of the video game crash of 1983 
You are listening to the Digital Odyssey on Hawk Radio on Anchor.fm. What you've just listened to was the Hyperduck half of the Dustin Elysian Tales soundtrack. It's a rather excellent soundtrack. Track. If um, I suge- highly suggest that not only you play the game, but also take a good listen to the soundtrack as well. It is pretty darn good. This segment, we'll be having our story time of the video game crash of 1983. It's 1982. The video game industry has grown to $3.2 billion, that being $8.6 billion in today's money. Everything's great. But three years later, the market plummets to around $100 million. How did this happen? How did the industry recover? And what lessons did we learn? First, oversaturation. In 1997, the world was flooded with Pong consoles. The idea was to take the arcade experience home with you, so long as you wanted to play Pong. The home computer game consumer base has had enough, and they've wanted something new. Something that they can play more games on. And Atari had the answer. Atari had a new system that could change all of it. A console that can play a large game library via interchangeable cartridges. They called it the Atari Video Computer System. And it is, and renamed it to the Atari 2600 in 1982. Because Atari was the only company who had the ability to produce games at the time, they had all the control with what games go in their library. Due to clashing with management of the Atari's parent company, Warner Communications at the time, a small group of employees left with their knowledge of game development that they've learned during development process of making Atari games under Atari's management and the technical expertise on the system to form Activision, a developer other than Atari to make games for their 2600 console. They've even independently developed their own manufacturing techniques to make the cartridges. Despite being sued by Atari to block the sales of all games developed by Activision, the two companies eventually settled, with a royalty payment being divvied out to Atari and somewhat establishing the traditional third-party development model for for consoles. Using the experience that they gain after years of development while under Atari's management, these games were able to stand on their own and have become very successful. Some games even selling over a million copies according to VGCharts.com. Most notably, Pitfall that has sold over 4 million copies. Due to Activision's success, Many other companies quickly jumped on the bandwagon to quickly produce games with venture capital money, with unexperienced programmers, and little in the way of game design. In Jeffrey Fleming's article, The History of Activision, on Gamastra.com, the founding members of Activision shook their heads and said, these guys will go out of business in a year. Little did they know how much that would have affected the the business in a year. With all these companies developing games, a bubble was starting to form. Over time, the Atari's 2600 console actually became much cheaper to manufacture. However, they never reduced the price. On top of that, home computers have been getting much more powerful, 
and more accessible in terms of price as opposed to dedicated game consoles that are not nearly as robust. Not only do home computers have the ability to do basically anything that the user wants them to, be it for productivity reasons or even entertainment reasons as well, Atari and many of the other game console manufacturers are now having a big problem. Video game oversaturation. The market is absolutely flooded with poor quality games and little in the way of game design. It's very difficult to figure out which games were even good in the first place without having to do some very deep research. This was the early 1980s. We didn't have, they didn't have the internet to just look up a game, watch some gameplay, and decide for ourselves and make an educated consumer decision as to spend money on your game. You'd spend a few, spend a few hundred dollars on the console and then drop a few, few dozen more on a game and is cross your fingers and hope that it can provide you with a good experience because that's all you knew back then and that's all you could do due to the high volume of low quality games in the Atari's library and the fact that the the prices in the home computer market are skydiving they just couldn't compete in 1983 with a rather boneheaded move on Atari's part they manufactured in a large amount of games that they expected were going to sell well. Namely, the console's port of the arcade game Pac-Man and the game rendition of E.T., The Extraterrestrial, which was a very popular film at the time. But due to the poor quality of these games and the fact that the video game industry is now falling out of fashion in favor of the new reduced price of the home computer market, they did not sell well, and Atari was left with a large number of cartridges that nobody wanted to buy. Atari resorted to secretly disposing of the cartridges in a landfill, and would remain an urban legend of whether or not they did that, until they would later be recovered from an excavation in Alamogordo, New Mexico in 2014. The video game industry would remain into a lull until a Nintendo in 1985 would release the Nintendo Entertainment System. With it, games made by the company who manufactured the console and partners who have made an agreement with Nintendo. Any games that would ever get published by Nintendo would have a Nintendo seal of quality which gave consumers confidence knowing that the manufacturer had vetted the software that they were about to purchase. That they proudly carry on all games published on their platforms to this day. Nintendo was not only committed to the quality of its product, but also supporting it with great software as well. The home computer market would continue to flourish as it would soon become a necessity in the modern household. And the video game industry would then recover as it would learn that quality software is what keeps consumer confidence high and software sales moving. Remember, a quality product is what will sustain a business in the long term. I think many other industries can learn from this. In fact, sometimes I would even say that the video and game industry today can learn from this as well. That's all we have for our story time.
You are listening to the Digital Odyssey on Hawk Radio on Anchor.fm. What you just listened to was Rosalina in the Observatory from Super Mario Galaxy. That game was released in 2007, and it is such a wonderful game. I remember playing that as a young lad, and I have such wonderful, wonderful memories of that game. I put so much time into it. I chose that game specifically um, uh, today because I thought it would be a nice, happy way to end this wonderful episode. But unfortunately, that's all we have for you tonight. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoyed much hearing it as much as I had saying it. Good night. Big fighting guy! What? what? You, you didn't expect me to actually curse on mic, did you? No, I don't do that.